Okay, that's recording. So welcome again, everybody. I think we'll go ahead and get started. So uh, we're going to hear from uh, four, well, we're going to hear four texts that are going to be performed tonight. Some are poems, some are, are sort of little mini plays, as you'll see, and some are our texts on other subjects. But the people that we'll, we'll hear from uh, this evening are Victoria Carker, who's going to read us a poem in German, and Yvette Ramirez, who's going to read for us uh, a text that she wrote in Chinese for a Chinese class, so we'll hear about that. Um, also from um, Catherine Auger Morin, who insisted that I pronounce her name the correct French way, and not Catherine Overmorin, <laughs> people say it here. No, but anyway, Catherine is going to read for us a text in, uh, in Spanish that she's uh, uh, she's composed. And then Dasha Foyarskaya, Yuan Ganev, and Elida Gonzalez, who are students in my French teacher class, are going to read uh, a little uh, sort of theater piece that Dasha composed uh, that's in French. Uh, and so what um, I've asked each of the, of the authors to do is just to, before they read, tell you a little bit about the, um, the text that, that they have, have composed in each case, and also to tell you a little bit about the language that's used, because one of the things that we feel strongly about in the presentations of pieces for collage is making it so that people who don't necessarily understand all the languages that are being read uh, can uh, still feel as though they've sort of entered into the experience and understood a little bit of what's happening. So in each case, even if you don't necessarily understand German or Chinese or Spanish or French, uh, the readers will tell you a little bit about the language that they use and even some key terms. And so perhaps when you hear that language in the context of the, uh, of the piece being read, you might feel as though you're, um, you're uh, a bit more connected to it than you might be otherwise if, if you were simply hearing uh, an entire text in a language that you, you might not know. And, uh, and not had any explanation of. So um, without any further ado, we'll, we'll start with our first reader, who's Victoria Parker. So she'll explain a little bit about her poem and then, and then give us her reading. Hello. <laughs> so basically, my poem is written as kind of in the spirit of August Bruegger's poem uh, Memoria, which is a medieval German poem that is more so turns into like a tragic teenager love story, typical German lady she dies. <laughs> but um, so to give a little background on that story, she is waiting for her fiance to come back to the ward and she scolds God and that is seen as a very like not a good thing to do in like medieval times. Everybody is very religious and is seen as everybody basically God comes back and scolds her. So in my poem title of Dude, it's where Lenora's like thought process is and I like basically put it as like a stanza shifting to a prose type piece to like describe her psychological shift as like teenager who just is in love, who's not thinking, who's upset, why is he not coming back to me to more of her thinking like the reality of he's not coming back, what do I do and how do I really love him. And so the, the couple words that I chose to share with y'all is do, which is the title of the poem, which is you in German, which is more of a uh, more meaning than you in English. It's like philosophically, Martin Buber, which is a German philosopher, wrote this beautiful book called If and Do, which is I and Thou in German or in English. And it's more so his meaning that relationships 
are meant to be together forever and you find your human meaning with another person. And this meaning of a relationship, therefore, brings you to your eternal relationship with God. And instead of God in my poem, the eternal relationship is with her And the saying that I wrote at the end of my Andrzejnus Peter is more of a uh, common German poetic saying that most Germans would recognize that I will see you in the next life, which is more of like, you're my soulmate, like, I'm going to be with you forever in the afterlife. So, I'll do. I will read the In Geister von Gottfried, August Bruder's in the Do. Warum? Warum tust du mir das an? Alltag. Alltag kommt in mir. Alltag. Es schmeckt. Es schmerzt wirklich. Wie tolle Strafe. So wie auch davon. Glaubst du, es ist wirklich. Wie sollen wir darüber hinwegkommen? Liebe. Wir lieben einander in Sprache. Sonst lieben wir die Menschen, die wir beide niemals verwenden. Traumen. Die Warme aus ihnen machen. Kalt. Leer. Einsam. Alltag. Diesen Alltag spüre ich jeden Tag. Tust du es? Hast du den Schmerz gefühlt? Schmerz ist gut. Ist es gut zu spritzen? Gibt es ein Glück nach ihm? Niemand wird jemals wissen. Niemand wird mich lieben, wie es tust. Niemand wird dich lieben, wie ich es tue. Warum? Warum ist es so schwer, mit dir zu sein? Das Sein mit dir. Warum macht es all und so schwer, zusammen zu sein? Oder bin ich es? Oder bist du es? Warum? Ich sehne mich nach dir. Ich weiß nur, dass ich mit dir erweg. Erweg wie? Neben dir bist du mit verbrannt. Verbannen. Das ist ein starkes Wort. Ich kann nicht. Ich kann nicht dich verlassen. Es tötet mich, wenn ich mit dir bin. Wenn ich ohne dich tut mir mehr weh. Warum? Warum sind wir? Sind wir nicht Seelenverwandte? Sind nächste Seelen nicht verwandt? Bitte aufhören. Bitte aufhören, mich zu tun. Verlass. Verlass mich nicht. Bitte. Bitte bleiben. Ich bin nicht in der Lage, in der Nacht deine Tüge zu schlafen. Ich kann nur an dich denken. Warum? Warum fliege ich? So wie muss? Tust du es. Du schriefst mir. Es macht mich traurig, wenn du schriefst. Ich verstehe, ich verstehe es. Ich bin's. Ich bin die Ursache, es tut mir leid. Deshalb muss ich gehen. Eines Tages morgen. Nein, eines Tages. Ich werde, ich verschrecke. Ich werde weggehen. Einig. Also bitte. Bitte lebe du dein Leben. Ein Leben, das lebenswert ist. Wir wissen nicht weg. Du bist mehr als das. Du bist mehr als ich. Hey, thank you, Victoria. If you don't mind um, just staying for a minute, because I, we, we usually like to have an opportunity just for a question or two if anyone if anyone has one. I have one to start with. If anyone else has one after that, that would be great, too. I'm just wondering, Victoria, when you've, um, it's really clear, especially at the beginning of the poem, that you're you know, do is the title, do is the sort of the object, right, of the poem, and then it's the first word. But I think a lot of times when we when we 
think of a word that would be you in any language. Um, you know, usually we're making a, a sentence with it, right? Like you're doing something or, you know, I love you or whatever it might be. But it sounded like maybe the way you use it at the beginning of the poem is just saying it and then maybe saying something else. Is that is that true? That maybe the first line is just the word you and then something else comes after that? Yeah, kind of. It's just like, it's her basically when you say like you and then she like thinks about it. It's like you cause me to do this. You remind me of this. And it's like I kind of start out like we fight. Why do you cause me this pain? And then it kind of has her breath missing. So I do start out with that. Yeah, yeah, and then after, and then after that first word, you starts to be used in maybe the more usual way, which is in sentences, and you do this, and I think this about you, and so forth. But first, you just present that as the idea, right? Just the do, which is the you. Yeah, it's very interesting. Other other questions or comments for Victoria? I guess. Yeah, go ahead, go on. Would you say this was written um, sort of as a stream of consciousness? Because that's that's the impression that I got. Yeah, it definitely. Is. It's definitely. If you think about like. Would you say that when she's coming to terms with this person being with her, it's um, sort of a positive struggle, or is it more like a dark time for her that she's realized this fact? Uh, definitely a dark time because I based it off of the poem Lenora where at the end she's basically uh, she like goes off her way to death and so I took her as in like a dark way of saying like she'll pretty much do anything to be with him so it's kind of like her way of like I will be content with like uh, offering myself to be with you <laughs> and so pretty much every German story can other other questions or comments for Victoria? No? Okay, well great Victoria, thank you so much. Okay, so um, then the next reader is uh, Yvette Rodriguez, who's going to, um, just like Victoria did such a great job of, uh, tell us a little bit about her text and uh, uh, and that's sort of what it was written for and what the theme is, and also hopefully let us know something about the Chinese language like this. Okay, great. So welcome. Hi. Um, so I wrote this as a part of like, an assignment for Chinese class, and essentially the instructions were to uh, pick a topic and then discuss said topic from different perspectives. So like this person would think this, and said topic this person would think this. And so um, the topic I chose was going to college. And so um, I'm gonna start with, how I'll do this is that I'll read part of it and then translate it for you, and then read part of it and then translate as we kind of go along so you know what I'm saying. Um, also, as I do that, I'll say like a small phrase or a word and say it in Chinese so that you kind of look out for it as I'm saying it and explain the meaning. Um, so I'll start with the first little phrase and that's Chu Dashi, which is, um, means to go to college. This one's the intro. Yodoran 
你应当移民来美国，因为你想给他的孩子很多的机会。他觉得如果你回去大学，你应该去，因为很多人不会有一个学学位，会找到更好的工作。嗯，做的，我认为这是机会，这是 essentially means opportunity. Um, and so the very first topic was um, from the perspective of someone who came to the United States as an immigrant. And so their perspective on college is that their children should go because the reason that they came to the U.S. is to offer the student like their children a better opportunity. And if they don't go, then it's like it's a little waste because people from other places may not be able to go. So you have the opportunity to go. Um, second phrase um, I want to learn for the teacher for the next one is space on how. Which means就是really good。So第二个中通，一个人虽然没去过大学，可是他有一个非常好的工作。他觉得你不需要去大学，因为要是女人是他们的人，他们会帮你，也可以给你带来机会。很多人是想大学，可是没有工作，大学仍
you heard, right, that, that your family talking about maybe it was important to be close to home. But what I wanted to know was, because I know that you you wrote that from different perspectives on the question, right, of going to college. So for you as an author, how much um, how much were you able to write that from personal experience, and how much did you have to imagine to put yourself in a position of people who might think something that might not necessarily be your perspective, but then try to write a convincing version of that. So how much were you able to just draw on you, and how much did you have to sort of imagine to be able to write those perspectives? So around, I think most of the perspectives were um, personal, like um, the one with the immigrants. My parents came from Mexico, so they weren't able to go to college in Mexico, so there was that expectation of you should go because there's people who would love to have the opportunity to go in and you can't so you should take advantage of that so that was like the first perspective I touched on. The last one was my mom's personally she's like yeah I go to college but stay close. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, another one was the one if you don't have money which is also like somewhat something that I took into consideration of when I had to go to college so like financial aid how well and then the fact that I was lucky that I had it somewhere to that was affordable for me but also take into account that many people don't have that opportunity. And the last one, um, I have heard from other people. So generally, most of them were um, personal. But if I didn't uh, like believe in it as close, I didn't do people who have heard of that. Like, I don't go to college. Like, I didn't go, but my dad did this, so I was able to do that. But yeah, but I don't have that concern. So, yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to ask you that was because people say sometimes that. Um, a really good writer, and maybe that's you. Um, a really good writer or professional writer is um, is able to to sort of invent other perspectives other than what he or she has actually lived. And so that that's why I found what you did really interesting. Like, you know, I thought, and you confirmed that, you know, some of it probably came from things that you had actually, but you were also really able to put yourself in in the mind of someone else and, and write that perspective. So I thought I thought that was really interesting about what you did. Other questions or comments? Read that. No. Okay. Well, thank you, Yvette. Hello. Okay. okay. Um, so our, our next reader is um, is Catherine Auger Morin, um, who is going to read us um, read us a text that she composed, I think, for Professor Barr's class. Is that right? Okay. But a text in Spanish. Okay. So just like the other readers, she'll explain a little bit about what the text is about teach us a little bit about the Spanish that's used in it so we can kind of enter into the text with her and then uh, we'll give the, the reading of the piece. So, Kathy, go ahead. Okay, so just to get you guys a little bit in context with the writing, first of all, it's a fictional writing that I did. I didn't have any specific expectation for a teacher. Um, so we were working, uh, studying Violeta Parra. Um, we've been studying the um, in, like people who were very influential in Chile this year in Spanish class, and we were asked to take position from someone of her entourage, so either her daughter, her son, her brother, or whoever has like was in a relationship with her, and write a letter um, to her because Violeta Parra um, committed suicide at the end of her life in the in 1960, 1967, yeah, and. So I personally decided to take the point of view of the daughter because the daughter is the one who found the body of her mom. Um, and just to put you a little bit in context, Vilta um, Parra was a um, folk musician and she was very influential like, um, 
in representing the culture of Chile around the world because she was she became very popular. She had some of her tapestry um, presented in the Louvre in France, which is not something you would expect. First, a woman, and second of all, a person from Chile to do in the 1960s. Um, so she had a very big impact on like on the Chilean culture. Um, also, another part of my text that I'm gonna uh, talk a little, touch a little bit on. It's one of the words is abuelo, which means um, grandfather. So when the daughter is talking about the grandpa, she mentions the fact that Violeta um, Parra has a very like tough childhood with her dad because he was a magician as well, and she wanted to do as well as he did, but he was an alcoholic, so everything she did was never good enough for him, if I can say. And Parra, like through her life, always wanted to have a good relationship with her kids, but it was always kind of hard to do. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a very fictional story, so don't worry, it's not <laughs> how I actually feel every day. Um, so, yeah, okay. Querida mamá, no hay día en lo que los últimos momentos de tu vida no me han ayudado. Sabes, mamá, que estaba volviendo de la escuela y que te estaba buscando para mostrarte mi nueva canción. Sí, mamá, escribí una canción. La primera de mi vida. Y pensaba que te encantaría. Hablaba de ti y de la suerte que tengo de tenerte en mi vida. Pero ¿sabes qué, mamá? Destruí mi canción cuando te vi. Y te prometo, mamá, jamás más voy a escribir música. La música era mi manera de conectarme contigo, de comprenderte y de compartir mis sentimientos. Ahora no tengo nada. Ni memorias, ni sentimientos, ni pensamientos. Mi mente está libre, a una excepción. La imagen de ti nunca se va. Esta pistola al lado de ti con la madre sangre. Tu sangre, mamá, que no quedó en tus venas. Tu cuerpo demasiado frío, sin alma, sin pulso, sin vida. Y tus ojos, mamá, completamente inertes, pero todavía demostrando tu miedo. A mí me gustaría ser egoísta como tú, mamá, y olvidar todo pero no lo puedo. Y ahora que no estás aquí, debo ser fuerte y cuidar a mis hermanos. Porque sí, mamá, necesitamos a alguien. Yo sé que tu infancia era muy difícil. Abuelo te amaba, pero tu presencia nunca era suficiente sin la adición de su mejor amigo, el alcohol. Esta situación complicada para ti te forza a convertirte en una mujer muy fuerte y independiente. Y eso, mamá, son tus mejores cualidades. Estoy muy orgullosa de ti. Mira, mamá, las cosas formidables que, ha hecho, que has hecho. Tu arte en los museos con tus artilleras, tus canciones, que ahora son famosas. Todo eso, mamá, se debe a tu trabajo duro y te lo mereces. Nunca te has preocupado de la opinión de las otras personas, porque en el fondo de tu corazón sabía perfectamente el potencial que tenías. Yo quería vivir independiente como ti, en la manera de realizar mis sueños sin prestar atención a los comentarios negativos. Pero mamá, tan independencia tampoco no es perfecto. No entiendo lo que pasó, mamá. ¿Cuáles son las cosas que podría hacer diferente para salvarte? ¿Yo no era una buena hija? ¿No me amabas, mamá? Dime, dime, mamá. No puedes imaginar cómo te explico. Te extraño. Todavía estoy buscando respuestas. 
Yo sabía que la, vi, que la vida no era fácil, pero nunca pensé que te perdiera con tanta rapidez. No tenía ese derecho de abandonarnos. Regresa, te imploro. A mí me gustaría dejar de echarte de menos, pero saliste con una parte de mí. Volaste mi alma. ¿Dónde estabas cada noche cuando me caía a dormir, llorando? ¿O durante los tiempos duros, cuando te vi a cuidar a los niños como una madre? Durante toda mi vida te apoyé sin tener nada en cambio. Eras mi mamá, mi amiga, mi guía, mi inspiración, una mujer fuerte y maravillosa, pero suicidarte era muy egoísta. La vida no era fácil para mí tampoco, pero fuimos un equipo y trabajábamos juntas. Te desprecio porque quitaste todo y me traicionaste sin pensar en las consecuencias. Ahora quiero olvidar. Quiero olvidar tus sonrisas, tus besos, tu voz. Deseo dejar de recordar todos los momentos únicos que hemos compartido y todos los lugares a donde fuimos. Te amo, mamá, pero no puedo soportar este ardor en mi corazón y en mi mente. Estoy enloqueciendo, pero nada es el mismo sin ti y yo no sé cómo sobrevivir. I have a question I'd like to ask, and if there are other people that have questions too, I think it's really interesting. One thing that you did in the in the letter, which and it's all, as you said, it's really all imagined, right? Or uh, even down to some of the details. What was the detail about her composing music also? That was true that she was interested in music. But yeah. I, was she actually writing a song when she found her mom? I don't know. Okay, so maybe she wasn't. Maybe yeah. she wasn't. Yeah, that, and that's what I think is interesting about something you invented in there. And one of the reasons I think that's interesting is that you said that the, her father was kind of this person that she sort of looked up to and wanted to be as good as him. Um, but then I think there's, there's a, I have some advantage here because I understand Spanish, um, but I think there's one part in the, in the letter where, where you talk about the mother. She says to the mother, you're, you're my inspiration, even though of course she's angry at her in another part as well. Um, so I think that, that there's an interesting kind of uh, uh, interplay between the influence of the father and the influence of the mother. So the father's a model and the mother is a model. But then when the mother dies, she abandons the model of the father by destroying her music, right? So mm -hmm. it's almost like both parents in some yeah. way, you know, so it's almost just sort of everything, everything. I don't know if that's what you had in mind, but. I, I don't know. Personally, when I learned that she committed suicide, I was frustrated because mm -hmm. I really liked everything that she was doing and I thought she was so amazing. And Senora uh, Bar kind of left that part aside and mm -hmm. we watched the movie and we were all so surprised to mm -hmm. realize that she killed herself so I don't know I was not, first of all not expecting that and then I don't know having the opportunity to take the side of the daughter I thought would be a good way because from my perspective like the mom was kind of blaming her dad on letting her like giving up on her and I feel like she, even obviously there's other explanations but I feel like Maybe the daughter had a little bit of that feeling as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, trying yeah. to play with that a little bit. Yeah, well, I think it's very successful. Anyway, yeah. other questions, comments about that? So, did you use that frustration about this artist killing herself to write this perspective? Because I felt as though the daughter was really feeling that she was wronged by this. Like, it seemed like she was just saying all of her frustrations toward her mom. Why did you do this? Yeah. Why did you do this to me? I feel like 
don't know, I was trying to put myself in perspective and it's like if I was kind of shocked by that, can you imagine like, walking in and like seeing your mom like that? I would just, I don't know, it, it would be a lot to handle probably. So I feel like on the moment, writing a letter to your mom who just kill herself would be very harsh and you would probably not just think about all the great things she did for you, but probably just um, try to understand why she will let you there with your, your sibling and everything and in charge of everything. So, yeah. Other questions or comments for Kathleen? Okay, Kathleen, thank you very much. Okay. All right. And then um, the last piece that uh, the last piece that we're going to hear is going to is composed by by Dasha Polyarskaya, but it's going to be read by Dasha and also Ioan uh, Ganev and Nadira Gonzalez, who are all students in my French 210 class, and um, work together on, on putting this uh, piece together. I'm not going to say anything else about it because Dasha is going to explain to you what it is, and then we'll give the performance. Okay, so um, the name of my story is Piaf and the Plant, which translates as Piaf in the Train. And this is a story about a passenger who met a young lady in the train. Uh, she sits down in front of him and starts reading the book. When she opened the book, the passenger recognizes the face of a dead Piaf. And he didn't know a lot of information about her, and the young lady decides to tell him uh, the story uh, of a dead Piaf. At the end of the story, uh, the passenger asks the young lady for your name, and hopefully at the end, you'll hear what she answers. And before we start, we're going to introduce a couple of words that you're going to hear. Um, uh, voyage, that's a trip or traveling. Uh, passager, that's passenger. Um, jeune fille, young lady. And son visage, semble familiar, that means that uh, her face seems familiar. And then several other words that you're going to hear me say are une chanteuse, which means a singer, and un livre, which is a book. And um, another three words are going to be fragile, which means fragile, um, petit oiseau, which means some little bird, and element, which means she died. Okay. And this is going to be like a play. So I'm the passenger. Elida is the young the young girl who's in the train, and she's the narrator. Okay. So, Il se tait parce qu'il ne veut pas la déranger. La jeune fille tournait les pages du livre et se donne. L'homme voit le visage d'une femme sur une page. Son visage semble familier. C'est Edith Piaf. C'est une chanteuse très connue. Et ma chanteuse préférée, c'est une chanteuse sarcasme. Je voudrais avoir la chance de le voir en concert. Il n'écoute pas de la musique souvent, mais il connaît cette chanteuse. J'ai entendu les gens parler d'elle à la radio de temps en temps. Mais je ne sais pas beaucoup d'informations sur Edith Piaf. La jeune fille dit qu'elle va lui raconter brièvement l'histoire d'Edith Piaf. Edith Piaf, de son vrai nom, Edith Giovanna Lacoste, est née le 19 décembre 1930 à Paris. Sa grand-mère a pris soin d'être elle était petite. Sa jeune fille était aveugle de 9 ans. Sa grand-mère l'a 